everybody, welcome to yet another Dining Room Chalkboard Lecture. It is day 67 on the count up, and that's uh, starting to feel big. But more importantly, it is now week 8 of the course, which means that, first of all, the term is pretty much almost over. Uh, it's going to go very quickly. Second of all, this is the third and final part of the class, which is the really, for the purposes of this remote instruction model, the most challenging part of this class. Uh, this is where, if we were able to get together, we were going to spend some time today, or whatever day you're watching this is not today, uh, on Tuesday of this week, we were going to spend that time with me discussing the, uh, um, the plan, the City Club plan to revise the Portland Charter, and then kind of getting you guys ready to do your group work, and then spending the next few uh, classes with you actually in class, working with your groups, Doing the on, uh, um, online discussion board is kind of a, a, an adjunct to that so that you could have a required set of interactions so that you, the outside of class, so that your group work could be richer. Um, obviously that plan isn't gonna happen and I had kind of hoped to try to just translate that plan into uh, the remote model by doing a lecture today as uh, you know, I have been in the video lectures and then just giving you time to do your group work remotely and then when we were going to do the final presentations, having a Zoom meeting for the final presentations, because what I really would love is for everybody to see everybody else's plans, uh, so that you can get a sense of how differently it's possible to approach the question of what should the Portland City government look like going forward into the rest of the 21st century. Um, and you could also see some of the ways in which you guys came to similar conclusions. Uh, the idea of having a Zoom meeting set of presentations as it gets closer and as I kind of thought about the, the weight and difficulty of, of the term coming to an end uh, got me to reconceive the entirety of the rest of the term. Not completely. I want to still try to uh, keep going with what we're going with uh, to a certain extent. But I made some changes and uh, there, I made an announcement on the D2L site where it's below where this video lecture is, so you hopefully have seen it. I changed the calendar and the deadlines should all be reflected there. But I, I know there's a lot of written information and I just want to go through this uh, quickly as well as then to do what I would have done if we were in class uh, this week, is talk about what my expectations are for the group work and given in, in light of the fact that now you're going to be doing it not in class but actually outside of class and totally online without ever having met probably your group members. So first of all, this week was supposed to have two deadlines. Today, today, I keep saying today, it's not even today. Today's Monday in my time. Today being Tuesday, the day that you would be having this class. But Tuesday, the 19th, was supposed to be the evaluation essay due. And the idea was that, the original idea, was that um, I was gonna discuss the Portland, uh, the City Club's report on changing the charter and uh, I wanted you to come in having read it and written an evaluation essay on it. So you had your ideas and then you could see my ideas and that way you would come in prepared to sort of have an informed position already. Um, in light of the global pandemic and real instruction, that's, while that is still a great goal, it, it, things have totally changed uh, in my view. So the evaluation essay is due next Tuesday. If you've already turned it in, you can turn in another one. Um, if you haven't turned it in yet, you now have, have uh, one whole extra week. And my expectation now is that you will use the content of today's lecture as part of your set of ideas, or at least you'll have my picture on what it is that the task of uh, reforming the Portland City government is. Whereas before, I wanted you to kind of 
tackle that on your own before you heard what I had to say about it and just based on the assigned reading from the City Club report. So that the whole intention of the paper has changed. The assignment hasn't changed. You still need to write an evaluation of the report from your own perspective. It's just that now you're not going to be doing it before you have uh, professorial instruction on this, but afterwards. Um, you were also supposed to, by Thursday at the beginning of class, have an initial proposal online on uh, the online discussion forum for one change that you want to see. And that's important that it's one change. Your online discussion was going to kick off with you, each, each member of your group, proposing just one change. Um, and however big or small, hopefully it's not minuscule, right? But, but uh, you know, for example, changing uh, perhaps the method of electing city council members from at-large to district-based. That's one single change. Um, the, uh, and the idea was, again, for this one, the original idea was that on Thursday, you were going to come in and have a group discussion of uh, the uh, city uh, club plan and begin moving forward on your own group's plan. Because the idea of this group is that you do what the city club committee did, is that you sit down and you think through the idea of what would a new city charter look like for the city of Portland going forward. What, what would uh, improve the kind of city government that we have? What would, what would address the problems that, we've, that we can see with the current system, which is now a century old? And also, what would address what is coming for Portland? What kind of city that we want it to become? What kind of city it's already becoming? Um, population growth? economic uh, expansion, uh, uh, cultural change, demographic change, all of these things are coming. So the idea of the group project is still the same, that you as a small group are going to act as a committee that has been assigned to write a report, analogous to the report that the City Club wrote, uh, and having virtue of the City Club report's uh, work. I'm gesturing in this direction, I realize, because that's where my City Club report is sitting. Here, here it is. Um, so you're supposed to read this first of all. Now, the original idea of the initial discussion posting was that you, again, by yourself, before you got with your group, would think through the report, you would have written the evaluation essay already, um, and then you would say, okay, well, what, what's one change I think is really important? And then you would put that on the group uh, discussion board, and then you would read everyone else's ideas in your group, and you would respond to them, and then they would read yours and respond to you. And so it was kind of an adjunct to the in-class discussions and whatever other kind of discussions you would conduct uh, informally outside of class, um, so that it was all intended to be one continuous in-class online discussion of, of the city of Portland's uh, uh, form of government for roughly a week and a half. And then at the end, your group would come in and present your plan to the rest of the class, and each of the groups would do that, and then we would have a discussion at the end about the different plans and not necessarily form a whole class plan like that wasn't the idea that was never the intention was that we would as a class then create our own plan but to just see what the four different versions are um, where they uh, are different where they overlap you could hear other groups ideas and be like oh yeah you know we didn't think of that or we thought of that we rejected that and we still rejected or wow no you know actually that's pretty convincing um, so that was the idea the way it's now going to go is that the online discussion is really, it's still an adjunct to your group work, um, but it's not as synced up in time as it would be because the very first assignment, the initial proposal, is not due until Tuesday, May 26th, at which point you should already have been interacting with your group 
because you should start this week. After you watch this uh, video lecture or listen to the, to the audio version, you should uh, try engaging with your group. In fact, maybe you've already started engaging with your group, seeing what's coming and knowing that group work is a slog at best under normal circumstances and it's going to be even more challenging under the current circumstances. Um, but your initial proposal isn't due until Tuesday, next Tuesday, uh, at 11.59 p.m., so the end of the day. And so you should already be well along in your group work. And so now the online discussion is really kind of a separate set-aside. It's, it's instead of being a place where you workshop ideas that could then inform your group work, it's really a place where you as an individual are going to be proposing ideas, reading other people's ideas, responding and critiquing them, and then responding to people's critiques of yours. So, um, while you're also going to, at the same time, be interacting with your group members about a lot of these same issues, it, the, these two assignments no longer mesh as tightly as they, as they possibly can, or as they, as they were originally intended to, to be. So, um, all the deadlines for the discussion postings have been bumped back by five days. So, instead of the first one being due on Thursday, the first one's due the following Tuesday. And the deadline has been changed from 8 a.m., which was when our class was supposed to be, to 11.59 p.m., which is a more traditional, in my approach anyway, a more traditional deadline for online discussion type of stuff. Um, and part of the reason why it was going to be 8 a.m. is I wanted you to do all that work before you arrived in class so that you would have had that online interaction before you then sat down with your group members. Now, since you're not sitting down with your group members, it doesn't make any sense to have you do the work before you don't sit down. Um, the other thing that's happened is that uh, your final paper has been pushed back by two days, only two days. It was moved from Tuesday, June 2nd to Thursday, June 4th, and the time that that was due was always 11.59 p.m., so that hasn't changed. That, that deadline's only moved two days, so don't think that everything is moved by five days. The evaluation paper has been moved by seven days, from Tuesday to Tuesday, and seven days plus hours, because, no, seven days because it was due originally at 11.59. Discussions have been moved by five days, and then the final paper's been moved by two days. The last change is that the method of presentation of your group's plan for reforming the Portland City Government is no longer going to be a Zoom meeting. Originally, at the beginning of the course, I determined that I wasn't going to do Zoom meetings for regular classes. I was going to do lectures from here in my dining room. And I, I think that's worked out pretty well. Um, it's become increasingly difficult for me to get prepared and get motivated to do this um, as this quarantine is worn on and as like full uh, motivation for every act of my job has to come from inside my willpower as opposed to like, oh, well, I just have to be there. I have to go to school. I drop my kids off at school. I go to my job. All of that motivation has had to come in, uh, in from the inside. As, and I'm sure that many of you are also experiencing the kind of challenge that that poses as each week goes by. Um, so, uh, and, and I'm just like, I, I can't, can't imagine doing these Zoom meetings now and having them be, fulfill my intention which is what I want is I want everybody to see everybody else's work so that they can get a, a perspective on how many different ways you can approach reforming the Portland city government and also on places where you guys landed on similar ideas so that you can see the similarities and differences. Uh, that goal hasn't changed. The method of achieving that goal can be easily changed because what I'm going to do is I'm going to have each of the groups turn in to a newly created discussion forum, which is still inside, it's in the same discussion th uh, thread or forum as uh, the, um, the group discussion work that you're gonna have to do, but it's just a separate one for final presentations. Each group will turn in one final presentation and everybody can 
therefore have access to the other three groups. There's going to be no sort of uh, enforced watching of it because you won't have to be in a room or on a Zoom meeting while it's happening. But my hope and my expectation is that you will go in and watch the presentation of the other three groups uh, so that you get this final sort of piece of learning about political reform that I'm hoping uh, to deliver to you. The way that you can turn in your presentations vary. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the method of doing this. Um, for those of you who have the capacity uh, and the desire uh, to do a screen recording, um, you can, uh, you know, if you have a Macintosh, I know, I know how to do this on Macintosh, so I'll talk you through it. You, can, you open QuickTime and you can start a screen recording and you can either record your whole screen or you can record just a window. And I'm not obviously walking you through it, but, it, but it's, it's relatively easy in the Macintosh to do a screen recording. And then you can just start a PowerPoint presentation, or you can start a Google Slides presentation, or you can start whatever kind of presentation that you want to make. You can use PDF files, you can use Word files, whatever. Essentially, the screen recording will share your screen, and then just do an audio over top of it. That's one method, a screen recorded presentation. It's probably the most straightforward, easy method. You could also do what I'm doing which is use a phone to record one member of the group, or even maybe you could use a phone to record, you know, the group could be like, well, I'll do the introduction, I'll do this part, I'll do this part. That's a little more challenging than just picking one person to do the final presentation, but that person can do the final presentation in front of the phone with, like, they can actually, uh, you know, have something behind them, or I don't quite know how that would work, or you could just hold up printouts of what your slides would look like. You don't really even need slides. You could actually do this presentation without a slide presentation. Um, or you could um, put together a slide deck, either in Google Slides or in PowerPoint, and you can record an audio and send both of those things at the, at the, in the same uh, posting. And in the audio, what you would want to do is you would essentially do a self-guided tour. You would say, okay, start on slide number one, and then talk, and then when, when you're ready to change, you say, change the slide. So that the audience listening to you, watching, can change the slide on their own computer. Um, so that's a way of doing it without a screen recording. Or if there's some other method that you uh, can think of, it's not one of these, that would make a presentation to the class that would get across what it is that your plan uh, is supposed to be, you know, you, you can do whatever, whatever will get that across. The only thing I don't want is just a purely written report. I don't want all of us to have to just read some document uh, that has a bunch of words and subheadings and maybe even charts or diagrams. That's, that's the only thing that I don't want. Um, I probably should open up my mind and say, well, under these circumstances, that would be acceptable. But I do want you to try to find something that is uh, visual, audio, interactive, that gets the, um, the rest of the class engaged in your presentation, even though it is uh, you know, not going to be done in front of them live. The simplest thing, the simplest version is what I would do normally, which is on the day of the class, you come up, you have your slide deck, either one or more people from the group gets up and does the presentation like a traditional college presentation. So you will have to find a method, but I am fully uh, prepared to accept anything except for just a plain old written report. Um, if you need guidance in which method to choose, how to make that 
method uh, happen, how to execute on that method, please reach out to me. Um, I am definitely not an expert at this kind of thing, but I'm a pretty decent amateur, as I hope that you can tell from the kind of stuff I've done for this class. I have a pretty good uh, ability to, to figure out how to make this happen, and I understand the various technological um, capacities and constraints involved in like a laptop and a phone that most people have uh, access to. So um, if you can do this on your own, great. I'm not begging you to come uh, asking me for help to uh, put your final presentation together, but uh, I certainly want to be available as a technical resource, even though that's not my job, I, I have that ability to do that. Okay, I put all that in writing on announcements and on the calendar and all this stuff, but I know that sometimes it can just be a lot to see. I certainly have myself gotten email fatigue from all of the emails that I've gotten about meetings and, and college business and all that stuff, so it's, it, it's sometimes nice just to have somebody just describe it to you. Um, that said, send me an email uh, and uh, if, if there's something that you need to have elaborated on. Um, I don't check my email as often as I normally would, so and I try to get back to you all within 24 hours and sometimes that just doesn't happen. Sometimes it's just the case that I can't open my laptop and look at my email and, and I'm sure that y y you all are feeling or many of you are feeling a similar kind of just like walking through mud up to your necks. Um, <clears throat> And I, under, I understand that, and I'm definitely way more forgiving than I've ever been. And it's possible that one of the things the pandemic will change is that I will become an even more, I shouldn't say anymore, I will become a truly forgiving person for students who have uh, all kinds of trouble. Because in the past, many of you who know me will know that I would just be like, look, you're a college student, you just gotta make it work, right? Just, that was my tough love approach. Uh, my, in my heart of hearts, I'm still a tough love person, but it could be that the global pandemic is actually eroding the tough love side of me. Okay, so, um, the, the last thing we are doing in this class, and we have three weeks to do it, is evaluating the City Club's plan, their analysis, and their plan, their recommendations, and thinking through the very same problem that the City Club Committee thought through on our own. Um, and today, I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you the, uh, essentially the outlines of what a plan should look like, what the expectation is for the kind of political reform you'll be thinking your way through. Now, remember, political reform, as I've defined it for this class and as I've used it the entire time, is uh, a transformation in the way that decisions are made within the political system. Not in what the decisions are, right? That's regular policy reform, right? Um, if, you're gonna, if we're gonna approach uh, um, the idea of uh, urban development, if we're going to approach the idea of parks funding, if we're going to approach the idea of, of um, uh, ho the homelessness problem or of uh, school development, those are all policy issues. And if you're going to change the way uh, the homeless uh, um, population is, is dealt with and treated and served uh, and regulated, that's policy reform. Political reform it changes the way those changes are made. Um, the current system that we have in Portland is uh, a commission system, and you should know this from your reading, and if you haven't done the reading, that's fine, because normally I would have expected it today, but, I, but things, are, things are changed. But the system that Portland has uh, was a result of progressive era reforms, which both Oregon and Portland were at the forefront of a century ago, a little more than a century ago, and the idea of the commissioner system was that the old form of city government, which was very much tied to political machines and uh, was highly corrupt in the sense that city contracts were not awarded in a way that was competitive 
and there wasn't really openness or transparency. Um, things did get done. Actually, you know, corruption, the word corruption usually makes it seem like government is super ineffective and, that, and money's just being stolen left and right. It doesn't have to happen that way. Um, what happens with, you know, sort of more routine, I would say, American-style corruption is that the job gets done. It just gets done in a less competitive environment. It gets done also in a way where there are mutual benefits handed out. Uh, so, for example, one of the reasons why city contracts were so highly guarded by political machines is that political machines could get support from uh, people who expected in return for that support, votes, uh, they would get no-bid city contracts, and so they would deliver votes for contracts, and that, that's corruption. What did happen was that um, people voted, so it was really still a democratic system. They, they weren't faking votes. They weren't, they weren't creating fraudulent ballots. No one was being physically coerced. People were just being promised benefits, right? If you, if, if you vote for these guys who will give me a contract, I will give you a job that pays money from that contract. So there was this sort of iron triangle cozy relationship. It's corrupt. Uh, I, I definitely don't want to say that it's not corrupt, but it's not the kind of uh, like just totally extraction-based, decadent, wasteful, uh, destructive corruption that, that exists in other places and, and, and has existed in the United States, but largely doesn't. But the commission system of government was intended to create more popular check, and check on and participation in municipal government um, so that uh, this kind of cozy iron triangle sort of corruption would be mitigated. Um, it was, at the time, the, probably the biggest problem with municipal government was this sort of cozy relationship between uh, contractors and parties and voters and party machines and elected officials, so that what we didn't really have was either uh, competition in the democratic sphere, um, elections weren't fixed in the sense that votes were uh, you know, fraudulently put in, they were fixed in the sense that People were incentivized to vote in one direction or another, um, but they weren't really they weren't really competitive. And the contracts and city work, municipal work, also wasn't very competitive. Um, and as a result, it was more expensive than it needed to be, and it was less uh, less high quality. So it was a waste to the taxpayers. So the idea was create a system where there would be greater both democratic competition as well as uh, competition for city contracts and city and city work. Um, that is no longer the main problem with uh, municipal government around the United States, and it is definitely not. It is definitely no longer the problem with uh, Portland city government. We're not really worried about this kind of cozy relationship between contractors and elected officials, and party machines don't really get uh, people elected, um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it, we don't have this overall around lack of competition. So one of the things to ask yourself as you go into this project, we have a system of government that was designed to fix a problem that we don't have anymore. And it's no wonder that that form of government no longer seems to be the appropriate one. Um, it would be pretty lucky if you devise a machine to fix a problem, and that problem goes away, and then that machine actually fixes the new problems that arise. That's not typically how things work. Uh, with either uh, you know machines, uh, physical machines, or with human systems. Um, this you know, for example, uh, in a totally different area, the system of tenure for professors was devised to solve a problem, 
and it solved that problem. It solved the problem of lack of, of uh, intellectual freedom and of uh, sort of institutional power over the research and ideas of uh, uh, professors. It's, and it solved that problem. Um, it doesn't solve the other problems that now exist in the academy that have developed one, because of the success of the tenure system, because sometimes when you solve a problem, the solution creates a whole new set of problems, and then sometimes you solve a problem, and then a new problem comes from a totally different direction, and your old solution certainly can't be, I mean, it would be lucky if, and sometimes it does, but it doesn't always solve the new problem. So one of the first things you should be asking yourself, and the City Club definitely, they do a big tour of various uh, kinds of systems and the history of this, but one of the things they approach this with is, what is the problem that we think that uh, the Portland city government has right now? Not municipal government all, all across the country, but what's the problem that we have now? So addressing the problem, the contemporary problems. What do you think is wrong? And uh, this is something that I've mentioned early in the term and have kind of implied throughout is this is this is really the way that political reform movements get going. There's a problem that gets addressed and then we say okay well what are the causes of that problem within the current system and what new kinds of political uh, procedures, what new kinds of institutions, what new kinds of roles, what new kinds of regulations would address this problem without one creating worse problems or two only addressing it partially or only addressing one problem while ignoring the other one, recognizing also typically that many things are interconnected. Now this is not something I've talked about much in this class, but uh, addressing contemporary problems and look for interconnections. Now, that's sort of the uh, overall uh, landscape of what you're doing as you enter this task of saying, well, we want to have a new plan for what the Portland city government uh, uh, will look like in the future. The first thing you have to do is know what it looks like in the present, and we have the commissioner system, and I've just kind of laid out for you the fact that it solved a problem, and it, it was designed to address a problem, and it actually successfully solved a problem with municipal government, but that's roughly a century ago. That's the progressive era uh, um, solution to uh, the problems that kind of gave rise to progressive era reform concerns. We clearly in the 21st century have a different set of concerns. Portland is also an obviously very different city in the 2020s than it was in the 1900s, the 1910s, the 1920s. So we know that there's a new landscape. Um, but what are we doing? We're not proposing policy changes. We're not saying, well, the police are racist, or we have too much homelessness, or the budget, there's a budget shortfall, or we don't have adequate schools, or housing uh, developers are, um, are, uh, un, uh, are too highly unregulated, there's too, too much free market solutions. Th those are all problems. So addressing uh, contemporary problems is not about policy problems. It's about how our political system responds to or fails to respond to the policy problems it faces. So what you're not doing is offering policy reforms. You're not looking at a plan for dealing with racism in the police department or with homelessness or with public school funding or whatever the problem, development, whatever problems you might think there are out there. You're looking at what will allow the city government to respond more effectively to those kinds of problems.
right? So if gentrification is one of the things that drives you crazy about Portland, you think this is a problem. Do not, we're not offering a solution to gentrification. What you're thinking about, though, is you can think about those more concrete policy problems by saying, what is it about our current system that makes our city government not as responsive to gentrification as we would like it to be? Uh, what makes our city government unable to address uh, things like inadequately uh, funded parks, uh, if that's what your problem is, or with uh, a lack of concern for developers doing what they, whatever they want as far as putting in things with no parking, etc. Don't think through the problem. Think through what it is that would make a good environment, a good political environment for solving that problem. Um, or for, not even solving it, excuse me, for addressing that problem. And one of the things about political reform is that when you create a new political form, when you succeed as a political reformer, you don't necessarily win the battles that subsequently follow your success at political reform. So, for example, if one of the problems you thought, and this is about a century-old problem, it's, a, it's, it's, it's contemporaneous to our system, our commission system of government, if you think that one of the problems with our political system is that the government is not responsive enough to the will of the people, and so what we need as a solution to that is direct democracy. We need an initiative, we need a referendum, we need recalls. Uh, and you win that battle, you get direct democracy installed in your state constitution or in your city charter. That's a victory. That doesn't mean that when it comes to, say, battling for a particular ballot measure, that you're going to win. Right? You've created, by succeeding at uh, changing the, the um, political system, you've created a new opportunity for winning policy battles. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win them. Uh, so when you think about reforming the Portland city government, also keep in mind that what you're doing is you're changing the nature of the arena. You're changing the nature of the game. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, uh, um, that that game is going to have a particular outcome. And you shouldn't even, if you want a particular outcome, you shouldn't be a political reformer, right? If you want to fight gentrification, uh, don't become a political reformer who changes the system hoping that the new system will address gentrification the way you want to address it. But if you look at gentrification and say, the failure of the Portland city government to respond adequately to gentrification and what it's doing to uh, our, um, our uh, culture, what it's doing to uh, marginalized communities, what it's doing to the demographic distribution of, of uh, income uh, levels in our city, like, I don't like, it's not doing a good job responding, I want a more responsive government. Now, the, and the policies that might come out of a more responsive government might actually not be ones that you particularly favor. So political reform is, you know, in a way, it's a dangerous game because if you win, you might still not win the, thing, the, the changes that you want. But what you're doing is you're looking to make it be more X, right? Now, I've used the word responsiveness because one of the things I think that is uh, an underlying concern for most political reformers in, in America is a system of government that is more responsive to X, right? I was just about to say to the will of the people, because that, but that's one version of what fills in that blank. More responsive to, right? One of the things that the progressive era reforms were designed to do was to be more responsive to, pop, to, to the voice of the people, but also it was designed to be more expert-driven. 
um, more responsive to the voice of experts and technocrats, because there was a big part of the progressive era that was about trusting technical scientific expertise as opposed to uh, just making a system more democratic. So part of what the system that we have uh, in place was a result of a political reform that was oriented towards being, yes, more responsive to the regular voter, to the, to the people, not to their representatives, who were seen as largely having ties to one, political machines, and two, to uh, moneyed interests, um, more responsive to, to, to voters, but also more responsive to technocratic expertise. Uh, part of the reason why you want to think about what are the problems is what, is, what is it that we don't think our city government is doing, right? What is it lacking? And how, through a political system, a change in political system, can we get more of that? Right? So one of the things about, for example, the, uh, the, the idea, the, de the desire to have more responsiveness to uh, um, technical and scientific expertise, how do you do that? How do you create a system that is more responsive to that? Well, the, the general solution is you have more appointed officials. Um, you have people who are appointed to do work, not elected, and you uh, design this, the system of appointment to uh, incentivize choosing technical and scientific experts as opposed to choosing uh, popular elected officials or, in, instead of, uh, or as opposed to choosing uh, people that you have a tight, cozy, or family relationship with. Right? Part of the commission system was so that there wasn't this sort of buddy-buddy uh, trading of uh, benefits. Um, so that the people who were running city governments were actually technical and scientific experts. Now, we might think from a different perspective that there are certain positions where we actually want less technocracy and more populism. We want the people who are making decisions to be more responsive to the concerns of voters and less responsive to the thoughts and ideas of technical and scientific uh, experts. So part of what is going to happen when you're thinking about contemporary problems and the interconnections between all of the different things you, you see are wrong is that you're, you're going to be making value-based uh, decisions. You can say, yeah, we want more populism, we want more technical and scientific expertise, we want more stability, we want more possibility for change. This is one of the things, one of the trade-offs I talked about when talking about constitutional avenues of reform. What are the possible things that you could look for and what are the trade-offs? Now, that's again kind of a more general overview kind of, kind of consider, consideration. What are we looking for? Um, <clears throat> the thing that you're actually doing is this. We're creating a system of government, and then we're also creating a system of elections. And uh, each of these involves certain specific decisions. So the system of governance for the city charter is really about what is the nature of the, le the legislative branch and the executive, and then what's the relationship between these two. And elections are about who gets elected and how. And also, who doesn't get elected and how, right? And that's actually where the two 
come together, where we talk about appointments. Who isn't elected? And how are they chosen? There's also kind of in the background of all of this, uh, which is really connected to both who's elected, what's the relationship, how are they chosen, there's also the question of checks on power. What are the checks on power going to look like? Um, and uh, the uh, who gets elected and how, the governance also um, is uh, legislative executive systems, the relationship, and then there's also the question of extra governmental forms. So one, uh, one common thing that exists in uh, certain systems is that um, there is, you know, the legislative branch makes the laws, the executive branch uh, enforces the laws and carries out the programs and does all the on-the-ground work. And then, um, in some systems, there's a, you know, the judiciary is relied on as the check. In other systems, the legislative is relied on as the check. Uh, in other systems, there's an extra governmental form, which is some kind of um, inspector general or some kind of citizen review panel or some kind of ombudsman, something that checks the power, right? And these are, I should have probably put this over here, but this is a form of check. One thing about, it's already like, it's, it, it was, it's supposed to be simple. Uh, how do you, what's the political, what's the, what's the city government look like? It, you know, it's, that could be a simple set of questions. What's the mayor? What's the mayor's role? What's, uh, how many uh, members of the city council? How are they elected? Um, it, there are some, those questions do need to be answered, but there's also then the broader picture of like, how, what, where is our system of governance embedded in terms of internal and external checks on power? So, checks on power, internal and external. And I'm going to, this is diagram, I did not plan this diagram out very well. One of the external checks on power is the electoral system, of course because elections check power. If you have a bunch of elected officials and they have to come up for re-election, that's a check on their power. An uh, internal system of checks and balances is the relationship between the uh, different branches and each other, so they check each other's power. And then this is also then a form of external and internal checks, because it's external because it's extra governmental forms. They're, they're, they're essentially outside, not outside the government itself, but they're outside the, the standard system of governance. But they're also a regular part. Uh, they are there. They exist. Elections are sporadic, right? These kinds of things are ongoing. I know that I'm losing, uh, I'm losing all the things that I've uh, been holding together for the last seven and a half weeks because this diagram is in absolutely undoubtedly the worst diagram I've produced all term. Um, it, it's, it, maybe I should just at the end of this, maybe I should redraw it, take a picture of that and post that uh, with the notes. But boy, even as I say that, that just sounds like a lot to do. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I seem like I'm burned out or I've given up. I'm neither burned out nor have I given up, um, but I see burnout and not giving a crap coming. And it's, I hope it's not coming before the end of the term. I hope it hits me in mid-June when I can just basically lay in my backyard and be burned out. Um, 
<clears throat> until summer term, of course, which I'm teaching summer term as well. But I'll be fine by then, I swear, I promise. But uh, <laughs> this is a messy diagram, but part of what political reform involves is changing the traditional relationships that we have in, in, in existence, and also often being creative. Um, so one of the things that I want to point out to you in terms of your work for developing your own plan is that feel free to be creative, particularly with stuff like this, right? One of the things that um, city governments are best known for is their diversity of form, right? Our state governments vary f f uh, from each other, but they're all very similar to the federal model. Um, almost all of them have bicameral legislatures, all of them have a strong executive, um, while the veto power varies, some states give governors line item vetoes and the president doesn't have it. There's really the form of the state governments is very similar to the form of the federal government. Um, city governments show a lot more richness of form and they show a lot more creativity uh, and a lot more of this kind of thing. And part of it is that these sorts of entities built in as, a, as both an internal and external check uh, are more possible at the smaller local level because they generally involve community leaders and civic engagement and citizen action. And at the local level, those things are much more possible. Um, one of the ways in which states differ from the federal government, a, a lot of states, is that state governments tend to have a lot more statewide elected officials than the federal government. The federal government has one nationwide elected official, the president, well, president and vice president, right? We don't elect anybody else at the national level. Um, uh, at the state level, many states, every state has an elected governor, which is the equivalent of the president, but many states have multiple statewide elected positions. The state treasurer, the, state, the secretary of state, the state attorney general, um, the lieutenant governor uh, is often elected separately from the governor as opposed to the vice president is elected in a ticket system with the president. So states already show a, a diversity of form, even though in general their form is relatively the same. Their electoral systems differ from the federal system in this particular way, and that is largely because it's way easier to have a multiplicity of statewide elected officials than it is to have a multiplicity of nationwide elected officials. Imagine if the United States elected the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasury, and the Attorney General. Um, that would mean that we would have that many more national campaigns. Now, what would probably happen is that those people would all run as a ticket, right? There would be the Democratic slate and the Republican slate, and so it wouldn't just be the President and Vice President, it would be the President, Vice President, Secretary of State, Secretary of Treasury, so we'd get all those people uh, uh, up front. And that would be different than it is now because currently the, when it, the President appoints those people and gets them confirmed by the Senate, so at least the uh, American electorate would have a chance to see who was on the ticket, right? And then the President couldn't fire the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Treasury. The President would have to deal with, for the four-year term, whoever it was that was put on the party ticket. But it would be messy. At the local level, we can have all kinds of stuff that isn't possible at the national level, and that's maybe not even done at the statewide level, because everybody lives here, right? Imagine a statewide um, oversight board for the state police. You would want to have that come from all over the different, all over the Oregon, from different communities. We would want to have some kind of diversity of representation. And like, how would they meet? Many people would have to come really far distances. They have a bunch of different concerns. They see things so differently. It, it, it could be, at a statewide level, could be cumbersome. A city 
over, citizen oversight board uh, of the um, city police is completely doable uh, in terms of not only logistics, but just in terms of like, yeah, we can represent the entire community by pulling people together from the various places and putting them on this board that meets once a week or that meets whenever they have to, to hear the complaints. Um, and this could be a realistic check on the power of the chief of police or on the power of the mayor or if there's an oversight board for something else. Very possible. Um, there are other uh, types of extra governmental forms, and I'll just mention one, um, and that is participatory budgeting. Uh, participatory, participatory budgeting is a type of budgeting that uh, sets aside a chunk of the city budget. Not usually a ton, and it's not usually most of it, and it's definitely not the entire budget, but sets aside a certain amount for uh, popular participatory determination of where that money goes. The normal budgeting process for a city is that it's either done by the mayor and with approval of the city council, or it's devised by the city council and voted on by the city council. It's all done from the top. Participatory budgeting is a, is a political reform that proposes that a certain amount of money in the city budget uh, is, up, is, is given over to essentially the equivalent of a citizen review board, and that opportunities for getting on that board, as well as for influencing and meeting with and talking to that board, are way more numerous than are the opportunities for, for example, getting on the city council or interacting with and, and influencing members of the city council. So there's, at the city level, there is the possibility for a pretty decent proliferation of forms of extra governmental forms that fall outside of the normal legislative executive and then the relationship between those two. Now, at minimum though, what you're going to have to do, because all the rest of this stuff is, are add-ons, and they of course are related to what problems you see as well as what opportunities you want to create in the new uh, electoral system, but at basis you have to decide what is the legislative system, what's the executive system, what's the relationship, how are these people going to get elected? And for everyone else who's going to be working in the city government, how are they chosen? Right? Now, let me just give you a couple of, of different examples without being comprehensive about all the different options that are out there for you. Part of your research and part of your participation in the group is finding uh, as many different options as possible so that you can select from among the, the ones that you think are the best. We currently have a commission system, which is also a weak mayor system, right? The, everybody on our city council is elected at large, so that's part of that's the electoral system. And the relationship between our legislative and executive is that the mayor is elected exactly the same way that, that all the city council members are elected and has one additional power. And that power is that the mayor gets to appoint which city commissioners, which are the city council members, but they're called commissioners, are going to be in charge of which city departments. So if you get elected to city council position one, you're, on this, you're a city commissioner, and you will then be part of the executive branch. One of the things about the commission system is that the legislative uh, officers, the people who are on the city council, who, who, who set the budget, who set policy, who make ordinances, who repeal ordinances, those people are all also the heads of executive departments. And the, which department they're the head of is up to the mayor. Now, interestingly, to get to be mayor of Portland, you run with the exact same constituency as the people who run for every city council position. And it's the same length of term. It's a four-year term elected at large in the entire city of Portland. Um, it's kind of weird, like, well, why wouldn't you just run for mayor? Why would you run for city council position two when city council position two requires you to, to 
to campaign to the same set of voters and gives you less power than if you win as mayor. Obviously, there's a, a difference in uh, what you desire and also in your temperament, but our system has a very small distinction between the mayor and the members of the city council, between the other commissioners. And the mayor is, in fact, a city commissioner as well in terms of fu uh, function. It's just kind of like the lead city commissioner. Um, and we also have the relationship between the legislative and the executive branch is that they are essentially the same people. Um, now, the city departments are run by people who are chosen. They're, they're chosen, they're hired in a competitive job interview type of system by the city commissioner who runs that city department. Um, so what we don't have is uh, a, a system where the mayor has a lot of control over who's actually running the departments. Because when you have a commissioner system, the commissioner is usually in charge of multiple city bureaus. You could be in charge of the police, parks and recreation, and housing development, um, or even more than that. Um, Department of Transportation, police, uh, parks, water, um, you, could, you could get whatever set uh, of, commission, of, of city departments are in, are in your uh, portfolio, depending on what the mayor gives you. Um, but those departments are run by department heads. So there's, a, there's a, a police commissioner who's one of our five elected officials, and I believe that uh, the current mayor has appointed himself police commissioner. So the police commissioner is elected, <clears throat> but not elected to be the police commissioner. The, the, the police commissioner is elected to be a member of the um, city council or the mayor, and then is appointed by the mayor, and the mayor is allowed to self-appoint. This is another, another interesting feature of our system. The police department is run by a chief of police, and the chief of police is hired by the police commissioner. Now, we could easily have a system where the police commissioner is elected. Much like we have a system where the state treasurer is elected, and the, state, the secretary of state is elected, and the head of the state's uh, school board is elected statewide, right? Um, we could have citywide the police commissioner, or we could have citywide uh, the Parks and Rec Commissioner, or the um, uh, Department of Transportation Commissioner. There's no reason why all the commissioners need to be elected, and there's also no reason why zero of the commissioners need to be elected. Um, not every statewide office in the state of Oregon is elected, right? There are plenty of statewide offices that are, in fact, appointed by the governor, um, and this is true uh, around the country, um, and the number of statewide offices that are elected versus appointed varies from state to state. There's no reason why, if you choose to have some of the commissioners, people who are executives, right, running executive departments, because what we have, the uh, executive is we have departments, there's no reason why we couldn't elect the police commissioner. Now, what the police commissioner would then probably be is, and you could set up the power to be this way, is the police commissioner is probably what today the police chief is. That's their job. The police chief is the one who runs the police department with the commissioner as their boss who could fire them, right? If you're an elected police commissioner, you could run the police department with no boss above you except for the, the, elected, except for the people who elect you or, 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 or don't elect you next time. Um, or we could, again, have a system where the police commissioner is elected and the police commissioner hires and fires the 
police chief. So the police chief is doing the daily business of running the police department, making all those decisions, signing all the forms, going to all those particular meetings, um, and is the head of that hierarchy. And the police commissioner is essentially the, the one person oversight committee over the police chief. So the police chief has a boss. And then also when we talk about checks, you could say that uh, we could say that the city council has to be consulted before the police chief can be fired. And we can even say before the police chief can be hired, right? This is how chosen, and chosen implies also how replaced, right? So I should probably write that up, how chosen and replaced. So we can say that the city council gets elected. And uh, just to kind of indicate what one of the choices are, let's just say we want to have a city council of uh, um, 10 members. We divide this and we have, they get elected in not state citywide, but in districts. We divide the city into five equally sized districts and every district gets two members of the city council elected in four year terms with two year offsets. So if I'm living in district one, we have two members of the city council and in 2020 we re-elect one of those two and in 2022 we re-elect the other one and they, they cycle that way. Now you could have uh, synchronized terms as well. You could re-elect both at the same time. The, those are, these are choices that you have to make and when you think about the interconnections between all these different forms, you have to play out in your head like, okay, how would that work? Do we, what, would it be a good idea for District 1 and District 3 and District 5 to get to re-elect all of their people all at once? Or do we want every district to have an election every two years? There are different consequences for making those different choices. But we could say we're going to have a city council of 10 members and uh, the mayor casts the tie-breaking vote if necessary, right? And there's a difference between having a vote and having the tie-breaking vote, right? Much like the vice president of the United States doesn't have a regular vote in the Senate, but casts a tie-breaking vote, you could say, and it's very common in, in, in city government forms, that the mayor has only a tie-breaking vote in the, uh, in the, in the city council. Um, so uh, we could say, well, the city council is 10 people with the mayor as a tie-breaking vote. They're elected in districts into uh, four-year terms that are cycled every two years uh, asynchronously. And we elect every four years a police commissioner, a uh, um, uh, head of the Department of Transportation, and a head of the Parks de Department. Just for example, we just choose those three particular ones, and maybe the uh, maybe the, the budget director. Like I, you know, it depends. What do you think needs? What do you think needs external check? What do you think needs the people deciding? Right. Um, our federal system doesn't think the people need. I mean, there's no thinking about it, but it doesn't uh, doesn't give the people any choice in who the secretary of state is. Right. That's up to the president. Um, in Oregon, the people get to choose who our Secretary of State is. Now, the Secretary of State has a different role at the state level than at the federal level, but they're both very important positions. The Secretary of State in Oregon has to, conv has to convince voters, right? I just filled out my ballot today and I had to choose one of the three people and I had to go through and figure out, what do I want, right? If, if we had a system that didn't elect the Secretary of State, that the Secretary of State was appointed by the governor, Kate Brown would do that job. As it is, I have to do that job, or I guess I should say I get to do that job. Um, so we decide who gets elected by the people. Part of what an election is, is it's, it's the external check, right? How do they get elected? Well, for the police commissioner, it makes sense to be elected citywide. For a mayor, it makes sense to be elected citywide. 
city council members, you either are elected citywide, or you're elected in districts, or you're elected in a proportional electoral system. Those are really the three main options that are uh, available. And then if you're elected in a district, you can have multi-member districts. Now, one of the reasons to have uh, synchronous voting for, let's say we have a 10-person city council, five districts in, uh, in Portland, um, and each district gets two representatives. If we do asynchronous, we, we, we vote one in every two years on alternating election cycles. What that means is we have a winner-take-all system. If we elect both of them at the same time, we could have, a, there are different ways of, of uh, electing those people. We could have position one and position two, winner-take-all in each one of them, or we could have uh, first and second place. So everybody runs, six people run for, for uh, District 1, Northeast Portland's two seats. The person who comes in first and the person who comes in second both go there. <clears throat> and there's no distinction between them. They both win. Third place person doesn't win, right? Um, so the, we, there's a multiplicity of ways that, we, that, the, that, that elections can take place. And then we can use a proportional uh, uh, election system as well. That would introduce parties. We currently don't have parties, and if you think, well, maybe part of the problem with our city government is that the people who are on the city council don't represent some kind of ideological constituency because they're not party members. In fact, they're explicitly, from, through our electoral system, uh, nonpartisan elections. Uh, what we really want is we really want to have the diversity of, of ideas in the city represented on the city council, so let's have a proportional system of PR, right? Um, all these are available, and then we could say, so we're electing our police commissioner. There are certain jobs, like it wouldn't make sense to have a police commissioner for the Northeast District and a police commissioner for the Southeast District. That, you, know, you could do it in theory, but that would be police commissioner by committee, and that would probably be atrocious. Typically, executive departments want to have a hierarchy where you have a person who has final responsibility, with potentially with checks. So what we say is this, the police commissioner gets elected. So somebody runs citywide for police commissioner, and what do they run on? They run on their record, their ideas, the policies that they want to pursue, and their constitutional power, I should say their charter power, because it's a city charter, not a city constitution, but their constitutional power is that they can appoint the police chief and that they have uh, um, veto power over certain kinds of decisions made by the chief of police. But the chief of police basically runs the day-to-day -day operations, and the police commissioner can only fire the police chief with approval of a majority of the city council. Or, alternatively, the police commissioner can hire and fire the police chief of police at will without any kind of, uh, without any kind of uh, authorization from the city council. You don't always need, just because a check is available in theory, doesn't mean you necessarily want to have that check. Right? If we have an elected police commissioner uh, who's going to run solely on like police uh, policing issues, and the voters can look at that person and say, "Okay, I'm just going to evaluate. I don't have to care about what your um, your healthcare plan is, what your environmental record is. All I care about is your is your ideas about policing." Um, then that person is going to be chosen from an area that is going to be different than, let's say, the mayor, because Ted Wheeler he he's the mayor. People aren't necessarily going to elect him solely on his position on what the Portland police should do. But then he appoints himself police commissioner. So now he's been elected for a lot of reasons, but now he has power over the police commission. Part of the reason why we would elect rather than appoint um, 
particular department heads is because we want to give the people the opportunity to choose that specific role. And also, we want to give the people who, who occupy that role a kind of a more niche responsibility and more niche appeal. Like if you're running for police commissioner, you're going to have to run a citywide campaign, just like mayor. And you're going to have less power than the mayor, but part of what you also have is you have less to run on. You don't have to run on your environmental record. You don't have to run on the homelessness question. I mean, you ha I guess you have to run on the homelessness question if it comes up like, how are you, the police, going to treat homeless people? So yes, you have to run on that. You don't have to run on the question of uh, economic development or housing development. You run on policing issues. Um, what check do we want? So all of this, I'm just giving you, I'm actually, I'm not giving you at all a comprehensive view about stuff. I'm really just giving you a set of interconnected uh, and very much ad hoc uh, ideas for what reform could look like. Um, another big form that's available, and this is kind of the what I'm talking about, the commissioner police chief distinction writ large to the whole city government, is the manager council form. We currently have a commissioner form where the, where the mayor is a weak mayor and the city uh, executive departments are run by the city uh, commissioners. Um, the count, so there's no professionalism at the very top, right? The people who are running each executive department are elected officials. Now, I, I shouldn't say there's no professionalism. It doesn't mean they're not able to be professionals. It means that they are not chosen because they are specific professionals in that area, right? A person who's hired to be the police chief is chosen because they have policing experience. The person who's chosen to be the police commissioner under the system I've just described, where they get directly elected, is elected because they have policing experience and a policing platform. We have a police commissioner who is the mayor who, is the, the, who has neither of those things, right? The mayor was not elected solely on policing issues. Maybe, there, maybe that was part of his platform. It definitely was. It always is. But that's not what most voters are looking at. Um, and so we have a person who has no experience as a police officer. And we have no person, we person who has no experience as a prosecutor or involved in the criminal justice system at all. Um, and uh, then we have a person running the department who's hired by that person who has all that experience. So where do we want the professional experience and where do we want the uh, sort of popular responsiveness? That's actually one of uh, the, the big question that, that goes on. The other form that's available and that's practiced widely in the United States at a bunch of different levels of government is the council manager system. And that's where we have a directly elected legislature and usually a mayor, but it's usually a very either a weak mayor or even just purely a ceremonial mayor, um, and then a, uh, a city manager. And the city manager is hired to run the executive departments on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's what many people think of as what a mayor does, but it's a basically it's an appointed mayor, and they, we call we call this a city manager. And usually there are and there are in fact city manager training programs. Like you can get a, you get college degrees in this, you can get a graduate degree, and there are certifications. And so usually city charters that have city managers actually have a set of professional requirements. Like I couldn't become the city manager just because somebody liked me and thought, oh yeah, you can be the city manager. It's actually a sort of trained professional position. Um, and then the, the question around the city manager is, so basically what we're saying is, well, we want the day-to-day -day operation of our executive branch to be in the hands of a trained professional and to, to be overseen, to have the department heads be overseen, not by an elected official, but by a trained professional who themselves is overseen by the elected officials. How does the city manager get appointed? How can the city manager be removed? 
these are uh, questions that have multiple answers to them, right? In some systems, the mayor appoints the city manager, <clears throat> and then that city manager has to be approved by a majority of the city council. And that is kind of like, like you know, say we elect a president, and then that president <clears throat> appoints somebody who run the executive branch. And that person who gets appointed, let's just call it the CEO of the executive branch, has to be approved by the Senate. But then that person has that job, um, unless they're recalled by the voters or unless they're uh, impeached uh, by the House and then removed by the Senate. So once you decide on a chosen method, then you have to have the con connection also has to be, well, how can they be replaced? Many city managers are chosen by the mayor or essentially nominated by the mayor because they then have to be endorsed by, approved by the city council. Um, other systems have it where the city council appoints the mayor. That's a little messier because then you have a group of people trying to appoint one person. It makes a lot more sense just uh, uh, systemically to have a mayor nominate the, uh, the manager and then have the council either approve or disapprove of that. Um, so the, the, the manager council uh, system puts technical, professional expertise essentially at the top of the executive branch and then creates a kind of a check, an internal checking relationship with the uh, legislative branch. <clears throat> and then in that system, unlike ours, where our city commissioners not only are the legislative branch, they also head the executive departments, even though they don't run them on a day-to-day -day basis, they still hire the people who run them and they can fire them. Um, the legislative branch acts just like we are familiar with the legislative branch being. They make the policies. They set the laws and the ordinances. They've set the budget. That's their job. They are, they are, they are legislators only. Um, our system mixes. The relationship in our system is a, is, a is a strong mixture between these two. And the only citywide uh, officials that we elect are the city council members, the mayor being sort of one of them with an extra power that other council members don't. Now, um, there, hopefully what you see from this, and I, and I have to, I think I have to, I could probably go on with examples for another two hours, and I absolutely do not want to go on for two hours, I don't even want to go on for much more than five minutes or so, but what I hope you see is that there are a lot of different ways to do these, to, to set up a city government, and to, to, to create the roles, to decide who selects them, are they appointed, who appoints them, how can they be removed, what do our elections look like, what's the relationship between the legislative and the executive branch, and then, what are the extra governmental forms? Are we going to have a citizen review board that actually is going to, rather than the chief of police and the police commissioner handling complaints about police behavior, we could say, well, there's an external power that when a, there's a citizen complaint about a police officer, that complaint goes to the citizen review board. It doesn't go to the police chief. It doesn't go to the police commissioner. It goes to someone else. Um, the police are particularly uh, um, susceptible, I should say, are, are particularly desired as a target for uh, this kind of external, you think of it as an auditor, like an auditor role of a citizen auditor board. Um, most city governments have various auditors throughout them. We have a, we have a city auditor who is like, God, I, I don't know if our city auditor is appointed or elected. I really ought to know. It's actually in the report, and I forget. There's so, you know, there's so many things that, that are easy to forget about these very complex uh, systems of government. But what I want to point out is that, one, you have a, just a ton of decisions to make 
Um, it doesn't mean it's impossible to make them, but there are a lot of there's a lot of diversity as to how these things can be organized. So one, use your creativity. Don't just think about the national government as the model for what a city government should look like. There's a lot of ways that you can play around with appointment versus uh, election, relationships between the different offices, internal and external checks, electoral forms. The thing that is super important, especially when you're putting together a broad-based reform like a new city charter, as opposed to a more targeted reform like mail-in balloting or uh, a dual executive or uh, mandatory voting or any of the, most of the ones you guys did for your speeches were great because they were targeted. This particular type of political reform, changing an entire city government's uh, charter, is not just one issue, it's a bunch of things. And the interconnections are going to uh, be very important. And then the other concept is the trade-offs. Always pay attention to what you're getting and what you're giving up when you make a particular choice. Um, so, for example, electing the police commissioner. What are you getting? Well, what you're getting is you're getting popular control over the top of a very important executive department. You're getting a kind of a direct form of citizen oversight. This person has to run for re-election every four years, and that's a very powerful uh, external check. You're also getting, because we're electing the city commissioner, the police commissioner, instead of having that person appointed or by, you know, from among, the, the current system we have is really not, it's far from the best. Um, but what you're also getting is you're getting an office where the people who will run for that office have enough experience and ideas that they could legitimately run for and win that office, right? If you've never done anything to do with policing, if you've never had anything to do with the criminal justice system at all, right, either as a lawyer or as a police officer or as a, as a, as a citizen advocate, it's going to be very difficult to get elected to that position. Not that people won't, you know, the bike party will undoubtedly run somebody for police commissioner because the bike party is going to run somebody for everything, uh, almost certainly in whatever new form of, of uh, uh, government the Portland city has. But the bike party candidate for police commissioner is almost certainly not going to be a viable candidate, right? The bike party's candidate for mayor is never a viable candidate. It's never someone who's going to win. At least it hasn't been so far. Uh, I don't want to predict, predict the future entirely. But what, what you do get is you get a police commissioner who, com who comes to the electorate with experience, character, and policies that are, that are related to that job. Currently, we have a police commissioner with neither, uh, none of that stuff, right? And, not, and that doesn't mean that Ted Wheeler is a bad police commissioner. It just means that he doesn't come to that job with any of these traits. Um, and uh, what we're getting when we elect the police commissioner is that. Okay? What we're giving up, depending on how we structure what the police commissioner's power over the police chief is, and maybe the police commissioner is the police chief, right? Like we, we actually just say, the police commissioner runs the day-to-day -day operations and uh, can only be removed from office by some kind of impeachment process or by losing re-election in four years. But for four years, we have the same police commissioner slash police chief. What we're, what we're giving up in that case is control, um, but also what we're giving up is we're giving up having a person who's not a politician 
running the police bureau, right? So whenever you use elections as opposed to selections, what you're giving up is essentially having a non-politician doing a certain kind of job. Now, in a democracy, you're going to have, this is part of the cost of doing business in a democracy, you're going to have an awful lot of politicians doing jobs. Um, and being able to get elected is often a very different skill than being able to do the job. Right? Like, in fact, this is a problem with our presidency. Most, uh, our presidents, the, the presidents of the United States, they're, they're better than anyone else at winning the presidency. That, and that's a high level of skill. Like, this is one thing about Donald Trump is that like, there, there have been 45 presidents and not even, most, not even all of them have been elected. 40 or so people in the 200 plus years have been good enough to win the presidency. That's hard. That's really hard. I couldn't do it. No one else could do it, right? People who think they're so much smarter than Donald Trump, they couldn't get elected president. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be good at doing the job you win the election for. And that's one of the, I would say, problematic perversities of a democracy, is that getting hired for the job means winning an election. And the hiring process is not necessarily related to being able to do the job well. So when we elect the police commissioner, instead of having the police commissioner appointed through some other mechanism, we are getting a politician. In other words, we're getting a person who's capable of swaying voters. Now, it's possible that we're gonna, that politicians, and, and at lower levels of office, it's more likely that you, the thing that gets you elected also makes you good at doing that job, right? But it's, there's, there's not a necessary connection. We can't make sure that the person who appeals to the most voters is actually going to be the person who is going to do the best job. Um, so that's what you're giving up. You're also potentially, if, you have, if, we, if we have a police commissioner who's elected by the people and we choose to have that person run the day-to-day -day operation of the police department, um, what we're giving up is we're giving up the ability for somebody to fire that person. Right? We, we have to, to get rid of a police commissioner that turns out to be a disaster or a disappointment now requires a more cumbersome impeachment removal process or waiting until the next election to vote them out of office. You lose the ability when you have an elected head of a department to get rid of that person should, should they prove to be ineffective, should they prove to be you know, corrupt but sure to be legally corrupt where they can actually just be removed. Uh, for, for illegalities, who is maybe just decides who's not responsive or who changes their mind. They ran on platform A, they get the job, they act in a way that's totally against platform A, and people are just like, wait a minute, we elected you to do this, how did you, how did you do this, right? Um, we, we, we don't like that. You give up when you have an elected official with a certain level of electoral immunity until the next cycle, you give up that kind of uh, um, check over that person. So. This is just one of, again, innumerable examples of the trade-offs. So when you're thinking about reform, always you're going to have to think about trade-offs. But when you're thinking about reform for an entire city charter, there's a, you have to think about the interconnections, and you also have to think definitely about the trade-offs for the choices that you're making. Um, that, this all might sound enormous and very challenging uh, and potentially even impossible. And yeah, that's true. But part of the lesson here is that that's what political reform of this type, not all political reform involves such a systemic change as rewriting a city charter, um, but this one particular kind is enormous and it's a daunting task. So part of what I hope you get out of this is a respect for the challenge 
of actually coming up with a plan that's going to have a lot of interconnections, and you're, you're going to have to make trade-offs. You're going to say, oh shit, do we want an elected police chief? Or do we want an appointed police chief by a commissioner who's appointed by... Like, it's, it, some of these choices could potentially be very anguishing and challenging to make, and there is really no right answer. Um, the only thing you can do is reference back what your problems are and say, okay, here's what we're getting and here's what we're giving up, and the thing we're getting is connected to the problem that we think we really want to face, right? And I, I used the police as... Uh, you know, an example throughout this, mostly just because I know that many, many people, it, all city governments care about the police, or people who are city, city government reformers, and particularly in Portland, the way the police uh, are run and the way they behave is definitely, uh, it's, a, it's a top issue for the electorate uh, and for, for, for citizens in general, even people who don't vote. So it, it's one area, but we, I could have used as an example instead the, the uh, head of the um, Department of Transportation, because that's also especially in a fast-growing city like Portland, that's also an extremely important job and a difficult job. Do we have an elected person? Do we have an appointed person? Currently, our, the head of our Department of Transportation is a member of the city council who was appointed by the mayor to head that without necessarily any relevant experience or even a platform in that, right? Like, you don't run to be the, the department of, the head of the Department of Transportation. You run to be a city commissioner, and then one of the city commissioners gets that job. Um, so, I think it's pretty easy, and the report does a pretty good job of pointing out why it is that our city commission system is actually far from the optimal one. But, what improves on that system? Even if we say, well, definitely, we need a new system. What improves on it? And then, every choice we make potentially has greater trade-offs. If we talk about a legislative, we want a bigger city council. Well. Do we want it to be 10 or 30 or 15? There are benefits and problems with every size city council. I mean, a city council of five is, for a city the size of ours is, is sort of criminally small. So we know that that's too small. But what would be a good size? What would be a good size for the next, say, 80 years, right? Uh, because when you do a city charter, you're probably going to be doing it for a, a chunk of decades, right? Maybe just 40 years. Think, of, think about a scope of 40 years. All right, so that's... I, I, like I said, I could go on, I could, I, could have, I could have innumerable examples of the kinds of choices that you're going to have to make, but I think this at least sets up the terrain of what it is that you're doing. I hope it's clear about the schedule changes and how uh, you're supposed to go about the next three weeks of life in this particular class. All right, well, that's it for today, and that's it for this week, and really, this is the last lecture I'm going to give to this class until the very final class. I'm going to do a kind of a wrap-up lecture. Hopefully it will be a manageable task for me and then I'll be up to the task by week 10. But until, until the end of week 10, uh, this is the last you're going to see of me in this particular format. And maybe that's a bummer to you and maybe that makes you extremely happy. And in both of those cases, it's true that I will not uh, be seeing my camera as a stand-in for you guys for another couple weeks. So uh, I hope that what we do instead is actually a really fun educational handleable exercise for you.